We're going through the Gospel of Mark. Every Sunday we actually start off with a, a reading from that Gospel which covers uh, the topic that I'm going to preach on this morning. And I asked for volunteers this morning and I put my hand up. Um, so I'm going to do the reading. And I haven't written it in my notes, so I'm actually going to uh, appeal to Jesus and uh, read it uh, from the heavens. So uh, if you'll bear with me, uh, <laughs> if I appear to be looking up, it's because I am. Okay, Mark 7, we're up to chapter 7 right now, starting from verse 1. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Wasn't that nice of them? They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Dirty things. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. Exciting stuff. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony. Notice they didn't say, why don't you? They sort of picked on his disciples. Jesus replied, you righteous people, you. Oh no, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. He's getting to the nitty-gritty. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. He's not pulling any punches here. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of their father and mother must be put to death. Let that be a lesson to you. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, look, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. It's a bit of the reverse of, you know, the, the ski holiday, you know, spend kids' inheritance. Um, now that the kids are spending their parents' inheritance, well, it doesn't work that way. Um, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. He's not pulling any punches there either. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he'd just used. Don't you understand either, he said. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. He left out some of the, the uh, details in between there. But saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. Who thought foolishness was a sin? And these vile things that come from within, they are what defile you. 
So, who wanted me to read that this morning? That was a nice, cheerful start to a message. So, just to lighten things up a bit, I, I read a blog earlier this week which gave this advice to preachers. It said, Dear Pastor, I encourage you to look in the mirror each morning and tell yourself two things. One, you are boring. Two, you are not funny. <laughs> now, before you start thinking, hang on, he's bad enough as it is without telling himself <laughs> that he's boring and not funny in the morning. But what the, what the guy was trying to get across, I think, is actually a very important point in that I'm not up here to make me the star. I'm actually, my, my only responsibility here on a Sunday morning is to actually preach the Word of God to you because it, it's, I'm boring, the Bible is not. My only task here is to convey to you that the Bible is not and not to actually make matters worse by trying to make me look good and the Bible secondary to what we do. So my first joke, no. So let's, let, let's see how I do this morning. The key verse, I think, here is Mark chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, which is key verses. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Now, Imagine you're a crowd. Not hard, really. And suddenly somebody calls you over and said, look, try to understand this. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. Everybody still? Sure. Okay. Where did that come from? What's he on? It's, it's sort of a, a non sequitur, which is a, a statement that doesn't seem... It's, it's a bit like Melchizedek. It doesn't have any end, beginning and it doesn't seem to have an end. It, doesn't, it sits there in the middle of nowhere. Um, but so I have two questions about that statement before I answer them I'm going to have a drink I get into trouble for walking around with a water bottle and not doing anything with it how did Jesus distill this statement from the conversation that he had just had from the with the Pharisees because I don't know whether you remember from what we just read he would blasted the Pharisees and then just called the crowd over and said made those two statements and the second thing is, how did he expect the crowd to understand what he was saying? So first of all, let's, let's look at this conversation that Jesus is having with these lovely people called Pharisees. In verse 9 he says, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. And he says, For instance, Mo Moses gave you this law from God, honour your father and mother. And the second law was, Anyone who disres speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Now that fairly serious stuff um, I don't think parents get quite the same sort of respect or carry the same sort of authority these days but it's, it's interesting he says you say it's alright for people to say to their parents sorry I can't look after you in your old age because I have promised to give the money and the, and the resources that I would have used to do that to God and in this way you let them disregard the needs of their parents and you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. And this isn't the only example. Now you sort of read that and you think, well, hang on. You know, if somebody really feels to give their money to God, surely their God is, a, that God is above their parents. Surely that's not such a bad thing. I mean, as a parent, I would sort of think, damn. 
I'm going to starve to death now because my kids aren't going to look after me. Not a nice thought. So what's wrong with that? But of course, we actually have to look a bit deeper here. You've got, you got to ask, you know, Jesus is bringing this up not because it's just a random conversation, but because he's actually reached a point in his ministry where he's starting to push hard against the, the, the people who oppose him. He's starting to say things to the Pharisees that he wouldn't have said a few months ago because the, the consequences would have been dramatic, as you'll find out they are pretty much here. So what actually happens here, what the, what the Pharisees are actually, actually uh, authorising or, or turning a blind eye to is that what you used to do is if you had money to bring to the temple, you used to come and notice it says that the people vowed to give their money to the Lord. So it doesn't actually say they did it. It just said they promised that they would. But what, if you look through Jewish tradition, what you discover is that there's loopholes in all of this. So what the people did was that they, they vowed to give their money to God, told their parents they couldn't give it to them, then went to the temple and made an arrangement which meant they didn't have to give the temple the money and spent it on themselves. Yay! So basically they've got, God doesn't get anything out of it. Their parents die of starvation and they are left with a nest egg feeling pretty good about themselves that they've rorted the system which doesn't sound particularly honest to me. In fact, I think, as Brendan pointed out earlier, that's sort of stealing. And so Jesus isn't talking about, the, you know, choosing between your parents and God. He's talking about a system which people have been using for generations to actually make sure that they can keep their money. And the Pharisees are in on this. They're getting a cut of what is happening. And so Jesus isn't calling them hypocrites because they've suddenly put God above their parents. He's calling them hypocrites because within a religious framework, they have worked out a, a way of becoming rich by pretending to be holy and also neglecting their parents. And so that's, that's pretty dastardly. I mean, they're looking holy on the outside. Look, I vowed to give my money to God. I am such a holy person. But on the inside, they're thinking, I've got all that money and I don't even have to help my parents out because I've told them it's going to God. Gosh, I'm clever. Sounds like the Wolf of Wall Street. So, he's got upset with the Pharisees about this and told them, I'm telling you this one, but look at all the other things you do. This is just one example of how twisted you guys are. And then he calls the crowd over and, get, and makes that statement. It's not what goes into you that defiles you, it's what comes, what comes out of your heart. Now, you've got to think, how, the, how is the crowd going to understand that. I can understand that he's not going to talk to them about the whole idea about their parents because probably some of them are doing it. And he knows that if he accuses them of that sort of deception, they're not going to listen. They're going to turn off because it's like, uh-oh, how did he find out? And they're not going to hear anything. But this thing about food, obviously, what goes into your body, how is this relevant? Well, think about it. What time of the day do you think we're talking about here? I'll give you a few clues. The Pharisees came in and complained about the way that the disciples were eating. Jesus had a crowd around him, but they weren't listening to him. Isn't that interesting? Most of the time you talk about Jesus as a crowd, he's healing people. So what time of day is it? What are they doing? Everybody has stopped for lunch. It's lunchtime. 
Dinner time. Could be dinner. Yeah. It's a meal. This is why the Pharisees have come in and said, I notice that your disciples aren't washing their hands properly before meals. It wasn't that they'd seen it the day before and thought they'd tackle him with it. They've actually come into a situation and they've gone, hmm, not good. By the way, these Pharisees weren't just random. This was a group. This was, this was like, this was the rabbi squad. You know, a top secret Mossad organisation that the that the, Jew, the Jewish high council had actually brought in to build a follow, into being to follow Jesus around to catch him out. So these weren't just random Pharisees. These were the, these were the SAS of rabbis. You know, they wore black. They, they blended in with their curly beards and their, their, their funny hats. And Actually, that's probably later. Um, but th- they were on a mission. They were there to trip Jesus up. And so they, they were there looking for every fault they could find. And so they, they, came in, they came in to see Jesus and discovered them all at lunch. And so they looked around just to make sure everybody was eating their lunch properly, as according to the Jewish tradition. No ham and bacon sandwiches. And, sorry, that was me doing a joke. I, I shouldn't, no. I'm, I am not funny, I am boring. Right, remember that. So... The crowd isn't listening to him because they've all stopped and they're eating their lunch as well. They're waiting till they've all finished lunch so they can crowd around Jesus again, hear his teaching and get healed. And so that's why Jesus calls to the crowd because normally when you're eating lunch, you don't suddenly, hey, crowd, come over here and listen, unless they're already there in place. So they're all just sitting around eating their lunch. But then he calls them over and because they're eating, he says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you because they are all stuffing their faces. So they know what he's talking about because he's talking about what they're eating. He says, it's not what you're eating that's defiling you, it's what's coming out of your hearts. So he's challenging the tradition. They know the tradition that he's challenging because they're, they're engaged in it, they're eating. And the Jewish laws about eating, uh, you could have filled more cookbooks with rubbish than you find in cookbooks today. Let's not go there. So... The crowd has had a series of visual clues so that they actually know what Jesus... So he knows they're going to understand what he's talking about. And so he then goes into a house to get away from the crowd and the disciples put their foot in it. I mean, one of them comes and says, what was that neat little parable you just used? You can imagine Jesus is thinking, it wasn't a parable. It was real life and you were in it. Why don't you get it? And he he says that. Sort of. He says, don't you understand either? He said, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? The food goes in your mouth, into your stomach, and then passes through the other bits and goes into the sewer. And it says in brackets, notice the brackets, they're there on purpose. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Do you think that is what Mark thought when he, when he came across this story? This is an editorial comment. Did you know that the Bible was edited by the people who wrote it? He, we can tell that Mark wrote his gospel after the scene in Acts where Peter had his dream about the sheep coming down from heaven and went and visited Cornelius. And, and Mark is actually refer- referencing this as saying, here we go. This is the first time we actually get evidence of the fact that Jesus had, was overturning the Jewish law about what foods were suitable to eat. 
And so it's not that he wrote and, oh, I get it. Didn't write that in the margin as, as he was going along. So we know that Mark wrote the gospel a bit later on. So what have we got here? We've got this sudden tension between the traditional Jewish culture and Jesus bringing this new teaching in, which so far seems to have sat on top of what people know. But suddenly, he's digging away at the foundations and saying, well, you guys are, are corrupt. You're doing things that aren't in line with God's law. The Old Testament is full of rubbish. People who love the Bible go, <gasps> you can't say that. The Bible is holy. The Bible is without fault. The Bible is the authoritative Word of God. Well, hang on, no, Jesus has just said it's not. You probably need to go and study this some more. Jesus isn't throwing out the Old Testament, but he's actually saying that a lot of what was written in it um, as Jewish law wasn't from God at all. And, of course, that upsets most of us who think the Bible is a holy book. And you can imagine how it felt to the Jews who that was their only holy book and that was how they'd lived their lives for generations. And suddenly this upstart comes along says he's the son of God and you haven't been doing the right thing. They were ticked. So, why is Jesus starting to challenge these Jewish traditions? You'll notice that as, as we continue on in, in the next couple of weeks, you'll notice he's starting to do this more and more as, as his ministry progresses. So, at, at the end of this, you know, your food goes into the sewer, he, he adds to that, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. Now, more and more, we're going to discover that Jesus is not interested in perpetuating a religious framework that emphasizes outward holiness while ignoring the key issues that true holiness and real defilement comes from the condition of our heart. We don't even want to look at that a lot of the time. I mean... I sat here this morning, I actually stood here while we were worshipping and I was actually amazed by what goes on because I think this is not something I can do on my own. I look at the stage and think, well, I couldn't put that together myself. I noticed how, the, I don't know whether you did, but I noticed how the lighting matched the songs. I thought, there's some smarty pants up the back organizing this stuff i noticed that the the actual the band worked together really well i can't i can't play an instrument or sing I'm, that's why they put me in the front row so they can't hear me somebody turned my microphone on by mistake the other day they nearly died had to give them mouth to mouth to, to bring them back and I, I look at what goes goes on in church to put on a service so that we can actually come here and worship god but God, and I am amazed at what, what goes in. I'm amazed at the, the level of organization, the level of dedication that people put in to bringing something together like today so that we can actually come and worship God. We can actually come and be in His presence. We can expose our hearts to the presence of God. We can hear from God's Word. We can learn something about what God wants for our lives, the, the important things that, are for, uh, that God wants for us. But it takes a lot of... It's not something that one person can do on their own. 
And I, I just want to say thank you to everybody who contributes to that. Because th we are given on a Sunday morning an amazing opportunity. The worship brings us closer to God. I might just take a little aside here. That towards the end here, I'm going to ask the band to go up. So can you all go up and we're going to do that. Um, your name is Victory, starting from the chorus towards the end. So just letting you know. That was just an aside. Sorry about that. So the thing is, what do we think? We come in that door and we come and we, we find a seat and we prepare for the morning service. What are we here for? Are we here because this is church and I'm a Christian and this is what we do. We come to church. And because I'm in church, the people next to me are going to notice that I'm in church and they're going to think, wow, a holy man. <laughs> Perhaps they'll think, I'm holy too. And so we all gather together and we look at each other and we think, wow, a holy person. Another one. Another one. Sleeping. Another one. More holy people. Do we come just because... Sorry, Susan. <laughs> That was really roots smack. I am boring. I am not funny. I am <laughs> and I humbly apologise. I will grovel later. But the, the idea is not that we come to church to appear holy. It's not that we come to church because we know that the person next to us is going to be blessed because my voice is incredible. They don't even need the band. They're going to hear me singing worship songs and they're going to be transported into the presence of God immediately because I am such a blessing to people. We're, we, we run the same risk of outward holiness and inward crap that the Pharisees faced. Well, it talks about that. It's the food you eat. <laughs> Back in Jesus' day, we can be as guilty of outward holiness and inward total chaos as they were. And so we need to actually take stock of what, what Jesus is telling people here. Because he's saying it's, it's not about how you act. It's not whether, how many Bible verses you learnt this week. Who learned a Bible verse this week? It's one more than me. I didn't. I learnt how to put cupboards together. Not a very holy occupation. But hey, we prayed a lot while we were doing it, didn't we, Barry? Yep. Said a lot of religious things. <laughs> it's interesting that all the issues that he mentions, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful de desires, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. I still can't see why foolishness is in there. <laughs> I'm, something I must work on. I am boring, I'm not funny. None of these things can be addressed by outward displays of religious behavior. You cannot appear to be good while you're murdering someone. You cannot come to church and, and be a good person when you're stealing at work. You cannot, I mean, on the surface, we all look fairly normal, but some of you are having wicked and lustful thoughts. Some of you just because I mentioned it. But the thing is, none, none of those things depend on our outward appearance. None of those things change just because we come to church. None of them change just because we've put on an experience that can make Christians look good. They change if what we do has an effect on the inside. 
if what we can do here is if we can make our worship such that it, it breaks open that exterior, that it goes beneath and beyond the religious outward appearance of what we do here on a Sunday, it can change you. If the Word of God that I'm preaching can actually touch something in your heart, you can actually go away and do something about it. But coming to church won't do it. Sitting, listening to me won't do it. Other people will see you leaving this building and they will think, they're a mob of Christians. They must be holy people. They must be in with God like that. They're probably all goody two-shoes. Sort of pure as driven snow. As Simon McIntyre says, have you ever seen snow that's been driven on? <laughs> but we too run, run that risk of letting what's inside of us corrupt us even though we look good on the outside. We need to ask ourselves questions. I watched, I watched a movie once. I can't remember what the, the movie was about but there was a line in it that struck me as very important. It was a medieval sort of movie and there was a, a woman fleeing something and she was asking directions and she wanted to know where the church was. And she, so she asked this guy, she, she said, is this the church? And he said, yes. And she said, great, because I'm in trouble and I, and I, 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 need, I need to find answers to my questions. And he says, well, you're going to the right place. Because if you go to the church, they have all the answers. He says, the thing I don't like about it is nobody's asking questions. And all too often, we, po we have answers to questions that nobody's asking. That we automatically think that if we just say Jesus is the answer, it'll cure things. I still remember a, a story of a, a, a Sunday school teacher who had taught her class about the Bible for months and months if not years and years and one one morning she decided to change things up a bit and she got a book of animals and asked them to and put some pictures up on the screen and asked them to name the animal and so she puts up a picture of a hippopotamus and says what's that and nobody puts their hand up she's thinking surely people know what that is she says come on and little daisy up the back puts her hand up and says she says well I know the answer should be Jesus, but it looks like a hippopotamus to me. <laughs> and all too often, that's our response. We come, people come into church and we say, the answer's Jesus. And they say, well, it looks like a hippopotamus. We actually need to be asking real questions. We need to be giving people real life advice and not just parroting scripture or the fact that Jesus is Lord. We know that. People hear that, but until they know it on the inside, until they've seen evidence of the fact that Jesus is our Lord, and not just the name that we attach the word Lord to, then it's not going to change people's lives. Ask yourself this, what are you doing because it's the Christian thing rather than the Christ thing? Because everybody else in church does it, or other churches do it. Now, sometimes we have to be careful that we don't, don't do things in our church just because we've seen other churches do it. It's okay to do it, but we need to ask why first. What are they hoping to achieve? If we did it, what would we be hoping to achieve? How is this going to bring people closer to God? How is this 
going to give people a greater understanding of God. The second question is, what are we doing to make us look holier than we really are? Everything. Anything I can. <laughs> Admit it then. And the third question, who are you trying to impress? See, Jesus is trying to get our attention. Can I have the band up while I, when I finish up here? Just as he was trying to get the crowd's attention back at lunchtime 2,000 years ago, possibly a bit more or less, when we read the Scriptures, they're not just words for us to follow. Yeah, the best question you can ask when reading your Bible is why? Why is it that we're reading the Gospel of Mark at the moment? And we sort of think that the Gospels are just the transcripts of what people saw Jesus do. But we know from experience, if we've read them, that they're all slightly different. Because they're written from the perspective of the impact they had on the writer's hearts. And so when we see something, I mean, Mark is passionate about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing things here because he's had a, a revelation of, because you know, he was a bit closer to the action than we are. But he's excited about the fact that he could see something, that God, there's a secret in here that Jesus was teaching to the crowd that we can actually make use of. It's interesting that he said the things that defile us come from our heart. And he mentioned that whole list of things that nobody here would ever do except the lying one. But what he doesn't mention, that the secret we're meant to grasp is if the things that defile us come from our heart, the things that actually make us Christ-like come from our heart too. And that the secret to getting rid of those things from our heart, the lustful thoughts, the lying, the adultery, the foolishness, is actually to replace them with the good things from God. The things that will make us healthy come from our heart. The things that will bring us victory in life come from our heart. If we understand the power in the name of Jesus, that comes from our heart so rather than being a tale of look you're really wicked people and you can't escape it it's actually saying from our heart if we are prepared to address our heart issues it's not just a question of getting rid of the bad things it's a question of filling ourselves with the good things and I want us to stand right now and I want us to worship I want us to sing this song because the song I believe here encapsulates what Mark is trying to tell us here that the name of Jesus Christ brings victory because if we can live and understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we can believe that he is bringing that resurrection in us that is all it needs we don't have to pretend to be holy we don't have to come to church and look good to get Jesus approval you might impress the pastor you might not you might impress the people next to you, but the only thing that impresses God is 
when we understand that the relationship on a heart level that we have with Him is everything. So if you want to cleanse yourself this morning of foolishness, wickedness, evil thoughts, whatever it is that I mentioned before, then stop trying to beat yourself up about it because it's not going to work. There's nothing you can do to your body that is going to change that. But you can replace what's in your heart with what Jesus wants to put in your heart. So let's sing. Let's pray. Let's replace that evil with a magnificent